DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual direction according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He is also author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life. The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. This next letter takes us to about a year later. Therese is now 19. Celine, to whom she's writing, is 23. Their father is still in the institution, a letter which also pertains to this correspondence in which Therese is encouraging Celine as she lives with this and and, uh, is the family person who is there trying to handle all of this. Dear Celine, Formerly, in the days of our childhood, we used to enjoy our feast. Now, this letter is written on October 19th, which is just a few days after the feast of uh, St. Teresa of Avila, October 15th. So that's the feast to which Therese refers here. Our feast, because three of them are in the Carmel. And again, in Therese's mind, Celine will be joining them when it's possible. We used to enjoy our feast because of the little gifts we mutually exchanged. The smallest object then had an incomparable value in our eyes. Soon the scene changed. Wings grew on the youngest of the birds. Therese slips into metaphor very easily. You know, even the little flower. Over and over again, she will write with metaphor. Wings grew on the youngest of the birds, which is a reference to her entrance into Carmel. And it flew away far from the sweet nest of its childhood, and all illusion vanished, as we've seen already now. Summer had followed spring, life's reality, the dreams of youth. Celine, was it not at that decisive moment that the bonds which joined our hearts were tightened? This is Therese. Here is Celine who is feeling left out. The others are in the Carmel. Even the remaining sister, Leonie, is now attempting yet a third time to enter a religious life at this point. Uh, or she will be shortly. And and Celine feels as though she's the one left behind and feels as though, again, she's lost Therese in some sense because of the deep intimacy between them. Of course, changes once Therese enters uh, the Carmel. So Therese, knowing that, speaks right to that. Was it not at that decisive moment when I left and entered Carmel that the bonds that joined our hearts were actually tightened? Yes, separation united us in a way that language cannot express. As I've said, she'll often say that. Our childlike affection was changed into a union of feelings, a unity of souls and mind. There's a maturity and deepening taking place. Who then could have accomplished this marvel? Ah, ah, it was he who had ravished our hearts. Now, she's going to quote from John of the Cross and then from uh, the Song of Songs, two sources that are very dear to her. The beloved chosen among thousands, the odor alone of his ointment, suffices to draw us after him. John of the Cross was very central for her. And she says that 
when she was about 17 and 18, that was really all that she read. And as far as we can see, she didn't read systematically, but by instinct, she moved toward the living flame of love and the spiritual canticle. So her focus was less on the ascetical road toward self-emptying that leads toward love, and her heart just moved immediately right to where her heart was drawn. Most of her quotes from John of the Cross, and there are many, in fact, a whole book has been written on this, her understanding of and use of John of the Cross, are from the living flame of love and the uh, spiritual canticle. Interestingly enough, one Carmelite scholar suggests that that's the proper way to read John of the Cross. Most of us, I know I did this myself, and I wish I had learned this counsel uh, at, at the time. I had the project of reading John of the Cross, and so I read The Dark Knight and The Ascent and found it pretty difficult, you know. And uh, th this scholar's suggestion is, no, do what Therese did. Start with the living flame of love and the spiritual canticles. See the beauty of the goal, and then go back and see the pathway toward it. Well, Therese by instinct does that. Jesus has attracted us together, although by different ways. Together, different ways. I'm in the Carmel, you're still in the world. Together, he has raised us above all the fragile things of this world whose image passes away. He has placed, so to speak, all things under our feet, like Zacchaeus. Now, you'll see as we go through this letter, and it's one reason why I quote it, how Therese, and now she's just, none of this is studied. She's just, as she said in the letter to her aunt, I just write as my heart dictates. But we'll see that she never goes very long without citing scripture. In fact, if you look at a story of a soul, you see the same thing. The, in the Carmel, there were hours of personal prayer every day. There was the time of the recitation of the divine office periodically throughout the day. But there were also hours of personal prayer. Therese, at one point, was given a book of prayers, a part of which contained the entirety of the New Testament. At one point, I even uh, drew this out for myself because I wanted to see what this meant. The last 216 pages of this manual for the Christian, as it was called, contained the entirety of the New Testament. Therese separated that from the rest of the book made it an appropriate cover for it, and she always kept that with her. She kept it in a pocket of her habit, and she used it, and she used it abundantly yeah, in her prayer. In those hours of prayer, we can just see her reading the New Testament, especially the Gospels, but over and over and over again, until it became the stuff, as it were, of her spiritual life. Later, even the reading of John of the Cross faded somewhat for her, and the Gospels became the single source of reading that she would do. She's a witness to faithful, daily absorption of the Scriptures, and especially the Gospels. You know how Pope Francis is always asking us, have a Bible, with, have a New Testament with you. And um, you know how he'll say things like, what would happen if we opened the New Testament as often as we open our phones? Therese does this. So she has the New Testament with her, and she absorbs it profoundly. And really, you kind of see the roots of Therese as a doctor of the church here. She reads it with an originality. She sees meanings in Scripture. Things, for example, like when she's speaking about love your enemies, and she applies that 
to other sisters in the Carmel who are not her enemies, but are just humanly difficult in one way or another for her. And she, she does this consistently. She'll see applications of the scriptures and they open up for her in ways that are very rich. And you'll see that in this letter repeatedly. Do we know if there was a favorite of the Gospels? Uh, you know, some tend towards the synoptics, others towards John or maybe Luke, Matthew, Mark. And, or was it just the complete package for her, do you think? We'd really have to turn to the real scholars to answer that thoroughly. As far as I can say from my own reading, I just see her speaking of the Gospels as a unity and then quoting from all of the Gospels. Whether there was a preference in one way or another for one of the others, I wouldn't be able to say, you know, with precision. So, like Zacchaeus, we climbed a tree to see Jesus. So, to open up spiritually for Celine the situation that both of them are living, uh, Zacchaeus comes to mind. So, he climbs a tree. He goes up, as it were, to see Jesus. And uh, she goes further through, uh, through some of this, quoting, uh, again, John of the Cross and so forth. So I'm going to move to about a paragraph later in the letter. And now what science is he about to teach us? Has he not taught us all? Let us listen to what he is saying to us. So again from the passage to Zacchaeus in Luke 19, Make haste to descend. I must lodge today at your house. So the way Jesus is inviting us now to grow and to live this situation is not by going up, but by descending, by going down. So there's Therese who reads that line and sees in Jesus' call to Zacchaeus to come down to where he will meet him and spiritual richness will be poured out upon him. She sees that as an indication of the way Jesus is leading her and Celine uh, together at this time. All right, what does she mean by this? Well, Jesus tells us to descend. Where then must we descend? Celine, you know better than I. However, let me tell you where we must now follow Jesus. What she's going after here is the suffering that Jesus is asking them to go through. The growth now will come, the growth in love and closeness with Jesus, with a warmth of love that, that filled their hearts and in their sharing. But now it's through, again, the crucible of suffering. That's the descent that she's speaking about. Well, however, let me tell you where we must now follow Jesus. In days gone by, the Jews asked our divine Savior, Master, where do you live? Scripture again. And he answered, and see, where did she get all this? Where did she get these understandings of Scripture? She's taking her life to her prayer and the Gospels. And the Gospels shed light on what she's understanding. And from this, she gained strength. And here she's sharing that with Celine. Master, where do you live? And he answered, the foxes have their lairs, the birds of heaven their nests, but I have no place to rest my head. Interesting that Therese quotes the, the uh, scriptures, but with a certain freedom. But I have, well, literally the son of man, she's just not bothered you know, about that. This is where we must descend in order that we may serve as an abode for Jesus. So that's where Jesus lives. There's no fixed place. And that's what we from whom so much has been taken, that's where we must be the place where Jesus will abide. To be so poor that we do not have a place to rest our head. You know, it never occurred to me till just now, but there's a sense in which that was literally true, because none of them was living in the family home anymore, you know, at this point. 
This is, dear Celine, what Jesus has done in my soul during my retreat. So this is made during one of her uh, retreats, written during one of her retreats. You understand there is question here of the interior. Besides, okay, so she says it here. Besides, has not the exterior already been reduced to nothing by means of the very sad trial of Kung? this uh, institution where their father is, where the family now has been taken from its home. But she says what we're really speaking about here is the descent interiorly. The exterior has happened, but this is an interior emptying and preparing a place for Jesus. In our dear Father, Jesus has stricken us in the most sensitive exterior part of our soul. This was painful beyond measuring. And you know, you also see the witnesses indicate that Therese and her two other sisters were feeling this with such pain in the Carmel. And the other sisters, they didn't try to hide it. Therese would never let it master her. Sometimes she would be in the recreations this time when they would break silence and be together for maybe an hour, as they did a couple times a day. And her tears would be falling, but she would be taking part. You know, she, They admired the courage with which she's going through this. Jesus has stricken us in the most sensitive exterior part of our heart, because that was the deepest family love. Now let us allow him to act. He can complete his work in our souls. What Jesus desires is that we receive him into our hearts. No doubt they are already empty of creatures, but alas, I feel mine is not entirely empty of myself. And it is for this reason that Jesus tells me to descend, taking things away. He, the King of Kings, humbled himself in such a way that his face was hidden. There's the holy face again. And no one recognized him. I, too, want to hide my face. I want my beloved alone to see it, that he be the only one to count my tears. That's what I meant about she's, she's trying not to let this master her and be shown as best she's able. That in my heart, at least, he may rest his dear head and feel that there he is known and understood. Well, we, we see here that Therese quotes the holy face of Jesus, and we mentioned a little bit about that, but I'd like to stop just for a moment on that, because this is more profound than we often realize in who Therese is and her whole spiritual life. We'll return to the letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. This is Dr. Anthony Lillis and Chris McGregor, and we invite you to join us in a once-in-a-lifetime Discerning Hearts Trinitarian pilgrimage throughout the Holy Land. This will be a unique opportunity for contemplative prayer, spiritual teaching, and fellowship in one of the holiest areas on the earth, the places touched by the lives of Jesus, Mary, and the Apostles. During this time, we will also walk closely in the company of the prophet Elijah through the most miraculous moments in salvation history, our history, which would later become pages in the gospel. Along with Sister Magdalite Balduc of the Community of the Beatitudes, the community of the famous Father Jacques Philippe, we hope to lead you into a new encounter with the great mysteries of our faith and a renewal of your devotion to the Lord. Join us May 26th through June 2nd, 2020. Please visit discerninghearts.com for a full itinerary and learn more about the contemplative Discerning Hearts Trinitarian pilgrimage to the Holy Land. A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. 
O Father, fountain of all life and holiness. You gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ, your Son, a lively hope, and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary, and by his very life he taught fidelity to the church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Father Lanteri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth, that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. So this is Therese who says, These words of Isaiah, so this is Isaiah 53, Who has believed our report? There is no beauty in him, nor comeliness. She says, Have been the foundation of my devotion to the holy face. So as I've said, when she looks to the holy face, it's the suffering face of Jesus. Actually, there was a devotion to this started by a Carmelite sister uh, some years earlier, and it was being spread throughout France. And that's probably how she came across this devotion to the holy face. It may have been her older sister, Pauline, who first gave her that image and put her in touch with this. So these words of Isaiah have been the whole foundation of my devotion to the holy face or, to express it better, the foundation of my whole piety. So, following her own words, if we ask what is the real, deepest center of her spiritual life, it's the suffering face of Jesus and all that this means. I also have desired to be without beauty, to tread the winepress alone, unknown to every creature. This is one of these startling paradoxes in the whole saga of Therese that throughout her life she was, as she desired to be, completely unknown. Very few of the sisters in the Carmel, it fluctuated a bit, say between 20 and 26 or so. When you read the testimonies that were taken in the process of canonization, only a very few of those who were closest to her had, had any inkling that there was anything at all special about this sister. Not a word that she wrote was published during her life. She was completely unknown, so much so that famously, one of the sisters is quoted referring to the practice in the Carmel that uh, when a sister died, uh, a circular would be put together as an obituary and sent to all the other Carmels. 
And this sister said, and the remark got back to Therese, well, what can they possibly write about her? She never did anything. And objectively speaking, she uh, helped out in the sacristy. She helped out in the dining room, preparing meals and those sorts of things. Uh, she did some painting. She helped out at the door, answering at the, at the front door for a time. And she was an assistant to the novice mistress. In any visible terms, very little to write. She was completely hidden during her life as she desired and so completely known after her life. It's one of these, these, these striking reversals, I suppose you'd call it, whatever you call it. But that was her desire. I also have desired to be without beauty, to tread the wine press. That is to imitate Jesus, the, the face, the hidden face, the suffering face, the, the face from whom people turn away their gaze of Jesus, to live with him, like him, that myself. Now, here is a commentary by the one who is probably the top of the Theresian scholars. This is now Bishop Guy Gaucher. Anything that he's written is uh, well worth reading. He is just a very, very fine uh, scholar of Therese. So he comments on this. We cannot place enough emphasis on this confidence, which at this date takes on the appearance of a last will and testament, words said to her sister Pauline in the last months of her life. We have here an inexhaustible source of study. Bishop Guy Gaucher is one of those. He probably is the one who best knows Therese. As a scholar, in terms of her spirituality, it's not purely academic knowledge in his case. And he is one who says this, when you, as the more you approach Therese, the more you run up against a mystery. There are depths here that you, before which you simply feel reverence. Inexhaustible is a good word for Therese. It strikes me, Father Gallagher, earlier you spoke of the great, I'll just call it a mother wound that she had, that separation, almost the abandonment, though it wasn't at the heart of the women, but but the experience was a, a, an abandonment and her need to reach out and Cling doesn't seem like the right word, but want to embrace and hold tight a source of love. So where she's going up the steps, she calls out mother and it waits for a response. Here it is. Why would the father allow this child to go through this kind of suffering, as it were? Because she would be able to express the longing of the human soul that we all want to reach out and hear that response from the Father, to hold fast and to love with that type of embrace that won't let go. I think that's one of the things that you're, you're bringing forth so strongly about Therese is that she touches all of us, have a sense of that somewhere deep down, that desire, you know, as St. Augustine would say, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Here's a, a young girl who is under this this microscope of her life. On the outside, no one knows, but there is a heart that wants to hold it tight and never let go. And you know, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. And what's going through my heart as you're saying this is so many of us wonder, what is my place in this life? Where should I be? What should I be doing? What is the value of what I'm doing? 
so much searching and groping. And Therese, with a very sure intuition, knows what the answer to all of that is. And it is love. That's not at all trite. Every human heart, it's exactly what you've said just now, above all wants to know that it's loved. That That's above all what every heart wants to know. And when our hearts know, I remember one woman saying to me, a professional woman, all my life I've always known that I could do anything if I know that, knew that I was loved. And now I'm there. Of course, you can see from everything we're saying that for Therese, love is not a cheap word. There can be a lot of suffering with it. It can be very demanding. As Mother Teresa said, it can hurt and will hurt. But it's the happiest, it's what we're made for. You know, St. John Paul II said this, that the vocation of the human person is love. That's the deepest thing. Now, we live that out as parents, as children, as teachers, as workers, as uh, office workers, people that run a business, uh, priests, religious, seminarians, lay people, whatever we are, with this set of people in these circumstances, with this health. But the center of it all, if we really want to live what God built us to live, made us to live, and what alone can really make us happy, it's what Therese knew by instinct and on which she built everything in her life. I want to be a person who loves. As all of these letters show, that's exactly what she is. And she can do that not because she has the strength in herself. And that's why we often give up on this, because we know that we can't do that. We are selfish at times, and we are impatient, and we get tired and cranky and confused and in pain and all of these things. We, of course we can't do it on our own, but we can if we open our hearts to the one who is eager to pour out that strength in us. So as we, we saw her say to her aunt before, the more the love of Jesus grows in a person, the more the love for one's dear relatives, he says, there are the people in our life will grow. But it's this deep insight that what are, what am I here for in this world? What's the answer? You are here to love. It's what God made you to do. Now, in different circumstances, in different ways, with different talents, health, relationship, all the rest of that. So that's the deep thing that unites all of us. And you've said that it's even the the bishop who knew of her so well, studied her, the scholar who un- understands her in a way that many just could only hope that you can never understand. I mean, it's, it seems almost like a the never-ending quest to understand Therese because she's so steeped into the heart of love. What is love? First John tells us God is love. So really you're into that mystery of God. I mean, she is so plunged into that ultimate mystery is God. And isn't it something that when we approach a person who is so deeply plunged into the mystery of God's love and so receptive to it, and at whatever cost to herself tries to live it, we find her so attractive. She draws everyone, Christians, non-Christians, Muslims, she's venerated by everyone. Well, that's the law of the gift, ultimately, you know, that the Pope said. You've been listening to The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with thousands of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, 
I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher.